Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host Oliver Jones. This conversation is with Ari Last. Ari is the founder of Bubble, an on-demand childcare platform helping thousands of parents quickly and conveniently arrange trusted childcare. We discuss the marketplace problem, the stigma around how you should look after your children, and the value of patient capital. With investors including the founders of Betfair, Boohoo.com, and Photobox, plus several hundred thousand active users to date, Ari and Bubble are on an exciting trajectory. So without further ado, we bring you Ari Last. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. We are here with Ari Last, founder of Childcare Marketplace Bubble. Thanks for joining us, Ari. Thanks for having me. We want to get to talk about Bubble at some point, but you've got an interesting background from broadcast media into Betfair and Market Invoice. So could you give us a run-up in your career as to what kind of led you to Bubble from those sort of origins? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my background academically was journal- broadcast journalism at Leeds University. And it just so happened that one of my lecturers there was, he had all the contracts for UEFA, who's a sports broadcaster, sports commentator. So I was a I was a sport nut, a football nut. And so for a year after uni, I went to work for him and doing uh, lots of commentary for UEFA on Champions League and football. And it was a it was a dream job for a football fan for a while. But, you know, actually a lot of the other work around it, like, you know, it quickly dawned on me that, you know, working in the sport necessarily isn't always as like fun as being a fan. Also, I, you know, I, I was always interested in business. I wanted to get into the commercial side of things. Uh, so I did that for a year and it was great. But after that, I joined uh, Betfair. So uh, already a big company by the time I joined, I think it was 2008. I wasn't a big gambler, but I was a big sports fan. It was amazing business, amazing technology, amazing products and people. And uh, spent five years there across a, a range of roles. Is it, did they hire you in a sort of graduate position? Oh, yeah, I joined actually. I was, I was the second year they, they took a grad intake, right. I think. And then quickly my background in journalism led me like I gravitated quickly towards their their PR and corporate communications team they were float they were about to float on the stock market which was obviously a massive deal and they were building a whole corporate comms function for that uh, so I ended up joining that and then did a lot of public affairs they were going through all kinds of like uh, yeah. regulatory issues across Europe and what are the challenges for uh, a gambling company in terms of keeping its PR on the right side of, of well yeah I mean it's a bet fair yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a huge challenge and, and especially um, when you go public as well you know those it becomes heightened and again I'm, it was a long time ago and there, there are many better experts than me on, on Betfair's regulatory challenges but at the time what was really interesting were they were operating in all of these European markets where the regulation was grey uh, and then they became a public company and all of a sudden the scrutiny on that kind of activity became much higher so there was a lot of um, you know places like Germany and France where um, I can't I don't know what it is today but at the time you know uh, it wasn't regulated and the laws were changing all the time there was a lot of uh, protectionism, you know, big monopolies, government-owned gambling monopolies in these countries, and you had like a tech upstart like Betfair trying to come in and disrupt and I'm sure it's not disrupt some government challenges. gambling interests, I'm sure, in some yeah. countries. it's Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So really, really interesting time. And like I said, it was a, a superb business. Ended up being there for five years. But by then it was, you know, 2,000 people. And I was really keen to kind of get into the startup space. Mm. It was 2000 and to 2003 and um you know fintech in london was getting you know really it was kind of just starting actually so i, I looked at that like people like funding circle and and zopa and there was market invoice as well who mm. at the time i joined were about eight people uh, invoice trading platform so another marketplace and i just was fascinated by the sector and really felt it was something that was going places uh, and so I joined them and spent a really good almost three years there helping to grow the business as you do when you when you join at a startup at that stage you you wear many hats but predominantly my role there was I built the the partnerships and intermediary sales team which mm-hmm. you know in SME finance pretty much most sales are, are driven through partnerships and intermediaries so we built that from scratch I spent uh, the best part of a year leading the sales team there as well and just an amazing uh, roller coaster ride by the time I left to do bubble it was uh, 
yeah, over 100 people. I think we'd done over a billion in funding. Um, so it was like a superb grounding, yeah. I'd say, in yeah the, the ups and downs of like early stage startup life. Yeah, your, your spidey sense must have been tingling. How are they doing now? Fantastically well. Yeah. So it was it was actually really hard to leave. Did um, you get an equity piece? As I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, like a minor shareholder, like right. a very minor shareholder, mm. but uh, definitely like retain an interest. And it was because it was just on the cusp of like really breaking out, I felt. And, you know, since then, they seem to be, I think they're, called, they're actually called market finance now. I saw they rebranded. Um, I wouldn't want the, the founder, Anil, to get angry at me mm. for not saying that. But, um, but yeah, I, I think there was, a, there was an element of, you know, I started to have this idea for Bubble. And I had a bit of an itch to, to strike out on my own and do something. Mm. And really, Bubble was like a fusion, actually, of that, you know, professional experience in marketplaces. You know, really, I, I, I was fascinated by the product, the dynamics, um, how actually at the end of the day, the, the nature of a marketplace and the efficiencies it drives really can deliver like a winning customer mm. proposition, like differentiated and, and winning and defensible. And then on a personal level, I started yeah, how, having kids. Yeah, how aware of you of the problem, were you? Yeah, so, I, so I've got three little kids now, actually, under six. All Arsenal fans. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Well, yeah, the eldest one like, for his sins. But um, so quickly, like, I still remember this and you know, my wife didn't really appreciate it at the time, but it was like two days in after having our first kid, I just kind of like tongue in cheek turned around to her and said, this parent, like parenting is just ridiculously hard. You know, like it's like, this is stupidly difficult. Like, uh, and there is every kid you have, like life gets harder in some degree, but there's nothing like those first few months in terms of like how your life just changes uh, from one day to the next. So I, I think like this, the seeds of doing something in the parenting space or, or um, a parent-led like service was sown like really early on where I just felt like in 2015, whenever it was, like as a, as a market of people, we were like massively left behind by technology. And, and by then I'd been working in technology. I'd, I'm a big user of like, um, you know, consumer-based tech. And I just remember think, thinking that this is, this is silly. And then the idea for Bubble, again, it kind of, formed from there really when when you realize well actually finding childcare is impossible and when you boil it down it's the root cause of most of a parent like daily problems you know and mm. the, the stress in our lives the opportunities we miss out on the relationships we miss out on the work we can't do it really boils down to you don't have a support network to help you like parents need more help and we're not helped by the fact that our parents generation almost like see it as a badge of honor sometimes mm. not to ask for help or a weakness to ask for it and just generally i think in in parenting there's a lot of guilt around admitting that you can't do everything on your own and so i, I really felt childcare was a market that a i, I experienced it very personally uh, the pain point very personally uh, but i also just felt that there was a better way to do it you know the final kind of piece for bubble was which is specific to how we've gone about doing it is realizing you know trust in childcare is everything right so i think that's why it's been a space that's been left behind mm. or, or left till last to some degree because i think there's been people I, I think i read somewhere that actually the founder of myspace his first business idea was like a babysitting market really? right uh, so i think people have looked at this problem for a long time it, it's a fairly easy problem to identify but a hard one to solve mm. and the way we went about it was actually we, we are this app which is driven by our social network right so our our key value proposition is we help you see the carers that are trusted by your social circle or within your social circle right and that was really looking at again looking at my wife we were we were abroad actually we were in tel aviv staying at my uh my brother and his wife and we were about to cancel our plans and my sister-in-law pops up and says there's this girl uh, at work, my colleague at work uses. She's amazing. Everyone mm. loves her. And like 30 minutes later, she's at our door. We're waving goodbye. Mm. And my wife's delighted, you know. And and generally speaking, like we 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 would never use an agency, yeah. right? She would. We'd be abroad or at a hotel, and I'd say, let's get their vetted, five star rated sitter over, and we can go for dinner in the in the lobby. And she'd like bite my head off for even suggesting it. Mm. But here she was, kind of delighted at this um, lovely girl couldn't even tell you a surname maybe not a first yeah, name right totally strange and that basically. yeah that really struck me mm. actually that you know isn't that interesting uh, that dynamic and i felt that is something you can digitize and that's what we just a social doing. validation yeah yeah so effectively like bubble we're, we're digitizing trust you know that's 
that's our um, core you know mission and really what underpins the the user experience of our service it's uh, and it's what makes I, I you know I think what we do valuable and defensible and most importantly right because I know I think uh, and I saw this at, at Betfair especially actually I think with tech companies you can sometimes get you know, too obsessed with with kind of telling everyone how clever you are, yeah. without actually, you know, but the customer doesn't care. Yeah. You know, just show me how I do it and what benefit it's going to bring yeah. me. Right, and that's the most important thing with what we do. There's a lot of um, clever tech going on behind the scenes, but fundamentally, what it allows the parent to do is just quickly find someone they trust yeah. to give them a hand. Yeah. So it's quite simple. Because you you're, you're right. Like technology can reach too far too fast and ignore the inherent trust dynamics that go on in, in community, community support networks. And, and a marketplace also isn't just a marketplace, it's a marketplace to serve a function yep. that can easily be ignored. And I think a lot of the sort of um, sharing economy ones have fallen under the same banner of we're sharing economy, app, platform, marketplace. And so but the dynamics of all of those relationships between whether I'll lend you my lawnmower versus whether I'll let you look after my kid are, are quite nuanced and very different. Yeah, And you need to be aware of them and start really with what you know, which is as you're wife's example of people she trusts yeah to then because otherwise you're not removing the anxiety for the user no it just you, you'll get nowhere i think and i think that's um you know at, at the end of the day when you look at what we're doing we're just taking a very simple real world dynamic this is what happens every day at the school gates it, ha it happens like you know a parent they ask their friends who do they use and the problem is a lot of parents increasingly as we live away from our intrinsic support network we don't have that many friends um you know, we don't live in our in our village as such anymore. And also, you know, there's some other interesting dynamics that, you know, the status quo is that childcare is so hard to come by. Your best friends don't want to give you their their best childcare, is right. So, <laughs> but it's a very simple, um, like I said, real world um, transaction or dynamic that we're just making. We're using tech to simplify it. We're not inventing something new. Did it feel too easy or too simple a win when you were first like coming up with the idea and trying to validate it with yourself? Did you sit there and go, it is an age-old problem, somebody somewhere must be solving this, or did you just confidently say, look, there is a gap in the market, and I believe that? Um, I, I definitely, like, and obviously still to this day, I like, had a lot of conviction that someone's going to do this. Like, mm. this is too big of a world, like, societal problem to, to kind of not be fixed. And, you know, there's many things that, like, keep me up at night, but, like, one of them is, look, like, and, and we're, we're in a good place now, like, someone's going to, build an amazing business and really solve this great problem mm. and I really want it to be us obviously it's not really am I actually doing something that's worthwhile or am I doing something that's going to work like or needs doing like I don't when we're, what we're definitely not doing is like inventing a solution to a problem that doesn't exist mm. you know this like clearly exists and clearly needs fixing and there might be a few different ways to fix it to be honest but uh, what 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 is for certain is that yeah someone's going to do it so it definitely has n wasn't easy and has not been easy in terms of like how how you solve it. I think that's very very difficult, and we're still figuring that you know exactly how to do that. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like value, you know, building something of value and, and giving value to the consumer, I think it's very obvious that that we're doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and it, yeah, it's a very worthwhile thing to do. I think. And so this this notion of creating trust within the community and on the platform, I can see how that works now, when you know the platform is well known. There have been child carers on it who've received loads and loads of ratings and everyone can see that. Because I think, what, you're at 100,000 users or something? Uh, yeah, about that. About that. But at the start, when you went anywhere near those numbers, how do you begin generating that that level of trust? Because like, yeah. the platform has no credibility yet. Yeah. The carers on it have, you know, they might have a few ratings that you've, kind of, you've got your friends to, yeah. to try it out. So how, how do you start creating that momentum? Yeah, it's a good question. So, well, there's things you can do to help seed you know that initial activity so whenever we look at a new area you know the thing that is really the hardest thing to get going is like those first 20 parents you know to do those those first 20 or 30 or 40 parents right in an environment like this they're basically doing the work for the next 2000 right mm. because so how do you kind of see how do you seed that so what so one is you you know we did little things in um whether it's like offline activity to try and you know um accelerate those like matches you know we did meetups for like parents and sitters in small areas right and it was a bit of fun for an evening out but what you do is you build connections and you build those first 10 sits on the app but actually what we've done is 
we have referral programs as well, which like incentivize users. Like the beauty of Bubble, and I guess any business which shares this is you have these network effects, right? And consumers understand that it just gets the, the service gets so much exponentially more powerful for them the more of their friends they have on it. Mm. That's where it gets incredibly powerful for Bubble because you go from a world where you maybe have one or two people you trust in the real world and they're not around most of the time, especially at late notice. Six of you get on Bubble and you've each gone from having two people to 12 people and effectively you're never caught short ever again. Mm. So that plays well to kind of that organic um, growth, but also in the product as well. So. We are a marketplace and our USP is this social validation. But what we've not done is kind of just thrown it up there and been like, this is this is us and kind of make it a bit what you will. We've constantly been using technology um, to add on additional security measures, which which help close that gap for that new parent who maybe doesn't have lots of sitters in their area who have reviews. Um, because once you're in a if you're using bubble in a densely populated area with lots of sitters with lots of reviews and social connections, it's very, I'd say, like easy mm, to get mm. comfortable and make a booking. But what we do as well now, we do identity checks, we do online background checks, we do uh, DBS verification, we have on-demand insurance on every sit. We built, uh, we built a reference checking tool in-house to collect referees um, from from sitters. So we we are launching with video profiles um, next week. Uh, we we do, we do various things, which are basically, you know, I see the trust suite of Bubble as like two-sided. You have the social validation element, which we strongly believe is hands down what parents crave and value the most. And when you crack that, they almost don't need anything else by and large. But we pair it with these other technology-enabled um, smart security measures, which help bridge that gap. And mm. the truth is what I've learned is there's a really broad spectrum of sensibilities that parents sit you know, mm. when it comes to making their childcare choices, right? And you're not always going to cater. I think it's silly to think you're going to cater perfectly for all of them. But broadly speaking, I'd like us to be able to cater for, for all of them. Um, and I think we do because, you know, Bubbles a solution for a super sensitive parent who's maybe got a newborn, who's never let someone else look after them before. And they use Bubble in a different way than someone else who's maybe kids are a bit older, who's just generally more relaxed about these things. Mm. Um, they use the tool in a slightly different way. And from a product perspective, we're very focused on on building product that gives them that ability to use it in a way they see fit uh, and a way that works for them. How does a, a carer who's just joined the platform for the first time and has never done a job, yeah. how do they ever get a job? Yeah, good question. That's one of the challenges that, yeah. again, not unique to Bubble, but no. I think maybe more acute to Bubble because we are by design this recommendation-based platform. So. Mm. Um, you know, a carer who has like 100 reviews is naturally going to be more in demand than someone who's just joined and has zero, right? Mm. So the truth is, like, it is one of the challenges for us right now because we, we also, like, have a really huge oversupply on the sitter side. Right. So there, um, and by like I said, it's, it's just a difficult balance because we want the platform to reward the best carers, like, deliberately. And so all our search, you know, um, search results when parents post job, it's all algorithmically driven. And, you know, parent A and parent B who might be sitting next to each other, you know, at a cafe or wherever, their jobs are going to different people based on numerous factors that feed our algorithms, yeah. which try and understand, like, who is, who is a right potential match for that parent. So we feed into that, you know, it's heavily based on, like, performance. So this is a great city who's sat for your friends, who's been reviewed lots of times. But on the flip side, how do you ensure that you don't kill it for kind of new people joining? Because there are some phenomenal, phenomenal carers on the platform. They have every qualification under the sun. They're just, they're wonderful. Yeah. But it's very hard for them to get a job. So, but there are things we do. There's things that, there are ways we kind of um, feed our algo, algos to kind of ensure we're not shutting out new people. Um, we as well are building constantly tools for the carers to like upskill mm. and to uh, boost their profiles. So there are mandatory checks that every sitter needs to go through, but then there are optional ones. So like whether it's DBS verification, the video profiles won't be mandatory to begin with. You can have a Skype interview with our team. You can uh, ref use your referral code to, to kind of share your profile. Uh, we, we built unique web profiles for every sitter that they can use to share outside of the app as well. And and the message to them is like, look, it's a, it's a relationship, you know, effectively you're a customer or a supplier on our platform and we're going to invest a huge amount to make you successful but at the same time you know it's also what you put in in terms of how successful you want to be and it's yeah. our job to give them the tools to do that mm. so but it's a yeah it's a it's an ongoing 
balancing act, uh, getting that one right. Is price dynamics built into that? Will they, will the, uh, will the babysitter set their own price? They set their own price. And so somebody coming in early essentially could be better value for money, theoretically. Yes. So they have the flexibility and control to, to play the market in a way how, how they want, right? But a really thing that we're so proud of is, because I know service-based marketplaces sometimes get like accused of, well, all you're doing is like driving down price right exploiting suppliers driving down their price but the opposite is true on bubble again because it's review based and because of the nature of the service right what we see is the top 10 percent of sitters by popularity are getting the most work their average hourly rate is something like 15 percent higher than the average mm. so it's 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 the it's not a race to the bottom it's the opposite you know the what the what the what the platform allows you to do is build this amazing verified reviewed profile that allows you to actually get more in demand and edge up your rates. Because yeah. again, this it, it would be wrong to kind of paint everyone with the same brush, but generally speaking, it's not like on the parent side, like price isn't the biggest driver here. Mm. It's, you know, if there's a sitter for 12 quid an hour versus a sitter for 10, 50 an hour, but the 12 quid an hour has been used by your mates and has 50 phenomenal reviews, you're gonna pick that person yeah. nine times out of 10. Yeah. And that's a really uh, important, um, Something, yeah, like I said, something, something we're really proud of, and uh, because, yeah, ultimately, look, we came at this from a parent perspective, but we have two sets of customers, and I think, um, you know, it's been widely spoken about elsewhere by people, you know, much more experienced than me. But, you know, the mistake you can fall into sometime with the marketplace is you just focus on your your customers, yeah. i.e., parents. But, um, yeah, that's a kind of a road to nowhere if you do that. You know, what's massively important for Bubble is that the carers on the platform are getting huge value out of it. They stick with it. Yeah. Um, and the good ones stay because they're the ones who, you know, they're the ones who give outstanding service. And that's the, that's what we want on there, obviously. Yeah, presum- sorry. sorry. I was going to say, presumably, it stops them wanting to circumvent your platform exactly, and take yeah. cash jobs or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, we've always been focused on, and again, all, my, all especially trust-based marketplaces, um, will suffer from that kind of leakage or disintermediation risk, right? But our focus has always been, how do we build a great service that people want to use rather than we're overly worrying about being cut out because if people want to cut you out and they don't value you enough, they're going to find a way to do it, whatever you put in place. Mm-hmm. And so from day one, it's always been right. How do we build something that both sides actually want to pay for and want to use? And I feel we've done that to a degree, but there's, there's, more, there's more we can do always. And is your business model a, a, just a commission on each hour? Uh, no, so it's a, we charge booking fee, like it sounds more complicated than it is when you say out loud, but effectively we have a subscription product for parents okay. and we charge booking and platform fees as well on every sit. So, I mean, it all, it all kind of equates to that kind of overall margin number, but effectively if you're a subscriber, for example, you avoid paying booking fees. So, and most of our parent users now are subscribers mm-hmm. because they love having this uh, this tool in their pocket, which whatever they need it for in the month or the quarter or whatever, they have they have some you know trusted help. Yeah, but you process the money for this. Yeah, everything is hand everything is handled uh, via the platform, which again is a massive. It's a sticky feature, right? Parents hate you know having to pay in cash yeah. at the end of the night, especially if you're coming back late. You normally you know you normally you can sometimes feel like you overpay because you don't have change. Mm. And when we started, it was like parents are going to love this but actually as it's turned out the carers love it just mm. as much because they hate dealing in cash yeah. you know that's very un-english yeah i mean isn't it like the airbnb, and- airbnb guys say they have that quote like people hate dealing with money in the home yeah you know so if you can take that away both sides really appreciate it and also like the typical uh it's it's a very personal relationship that a carer builds with a parent like even if it's not their they're there like every day, even if it's occasional, uh, it's very personal and casual in many respects. And you don't want to be dealing with asking them for money. So you like have to you, linger at the door, exactly. scuffing your feet, waiting for them to go. Yeah, and if they pay you a few quid cash. less, mm. like yeah. you're just not going to bring it up. And, yeah. and actually, when we before we started Bubble, it was it was meeting like coffees with like 200 sitters, mm. you know, face to face, asking them how they got their work what they like what was the problem for them how could you know we help them and yeah i mean this issue is like uh it's 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 value adding for both sides so the platform it tracks the sit to the minute parents pay in a tap sitters get transferred the cash seamlessly 
Have you ever described yourself as the Uber for babysitters? <laughs> uh, maybe right at the beginning, but stopped really yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's just like other people <laughs> describing yeah, yeah. us as it. And uh, and I'm again, it's like, um, I think with us especially, it's, it's not a great comparison because, um, I mean, Uber, I mean, we've been called like Uber, Deliveroo, Amazon Prime, Tinder. For, <laughs> like we've literally been called it all right. And certainly at the beginning, we probably like try to leverage that a bit, yeah. right? Mm. Um, and listen, it implies like speed, slickness, convenience, right? But what it what it sometimes you know relays is commo- a commoditization and an impersonal experience, right? And bubble is works in the complete opposite way. Mm. So the thing that I think scares a parent the most, you know, when they might hear about a service like Bubble, is this idea that you it's an app. You push it like Uber or delivery, you push a button and someone shows up at your door. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're kind of here, when you hear it quickly, that is what you think, mm. right? And the reality is the service works in a completely opposite way. You know, the, the thing that parents using Bubble love about it and the reason we've designed it this way, especially, is they always have control and choice. So, yes, Bubble's very slick at seeing the options around you and giving you smart information, but you always control who you pick. And actually, that 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 adds another step in our conversion funnel. If you think about it, like in a way, what would be better is, you know, you'd think just, you know, you don't you're not getting the choice. You're going to press a button and you're going to send someone, right? Yeah. But that just would never work, mm-hmm. like in this space, mm-hmm. right? The whole beauty about it is they have they have complete control. Typically, what I never liked about agencies and speaking to other parents who use them is. They might use vetting in like a traditional sense, right? Um, although I argue strongly now ours is, you know, more robust than a typical agency as well. But um, what you don't like is that it's just impersonal. You just get sent someone, right? And people love on Bubble how they can like swipe through profiles. The kids sometimes get involved as well. Like when I'm, when swipe we're going left, out, swipe yeah. right. Well, I'm, I'm not quite like that. But when, I, when I'm uh, when we're going out now, like if my son's awake and he's going to be awake, like he'll he'll like select. Yeah, sitter with fun. us right and uh, and i know other parents use it in the same way so so that those comparisons they're some they're good for like getting quick like press hits yeah um and and this point of tension don't get me wrong like i think for good pr right you always want a point of tension in your story it has helped bubble like this idea like what we do still very much like polarizes opinion mm-hmm. i think and I, I i still experience it myself right you'll sit around the table with five parents you'll talk about a babysitting app and like Half of them will be like, that sounds amazing. And half will be like, that sounds a bit nuts, right? Those comparisons help to a degree, but actually, and now we're kind of maturing a little bit. It's really important. We we try and we try and avoid them because, because like I said, they don't represent the product in the right way. Yeah. I think um, what they do is they, have you read um, Piers Inc? I haven't, no. By Robin Chase. I think a lot of what you're saying really resonates with, with what she says in that book. So she's the founder of Zipcar, mm. and she talks about how like the, the business model of the future is this participation platform between the the peers, which are, in this case it's the child carers, and the Inc, which is the company, mm-hmm. and the the company uses its its advantages to help the peers, the child carers, deliver that that service, and it's the marriage of the two that creates the, the value in the marketplace. You but you can't you can't have the one without the other. Well, it's like technology maximization it's, it's rather exactly, than it's eroding. Like tech enabling people yeah. to do to it's do amazing it. things. And so that's what a lot of all these platforms, while there are differences between you and Uber, there are also those similarities. Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, a bit of a learning for me and what I realized. And I realized it quite quickly that, you know, I, I definitely came at this more from like, you know, and I still very much am like I'm very passionate. I'm not a, I'm not an engineer, but I'm hugely passionate about like the, the tech and the platform and people yeah. who have actually seen our platform and the way we've done it, you know, have fed back to me that, you know, it's way beyond what someone would typically think of when they hear childcare app or something. Yeah. And I think that's because we're hugely passionate about the product. But at the same time, I realized I realized quite quickly this will never be a service that you could completely digitize like there it's just not going to happen and actually to be successful it needs to be a really smart fusion between yes amazing technology but also really smart human processes so and in what we do i mean we've built it in a really lean and like scalable way but they're interwoven with like the tech is plenty of like human 
uh, human ops. Yeah. Um, but it's enabled by front end and back end and, and an ops portal that allows our, our team to do it in a really smart way. So, yeah, I quickly, I don't, looking back, I don't think I ever went into it thinking, yeah, we're just going to build like this total like uh, computerized or, or mm. digitized like solution. But quickly I learned actually how, how our internal processes and our operations team and the customer success team um, and how that dovetails with, with the app we build is so important. So like we have live chat in the app, which is like amazing and mm. parents like value it hugely. It's quite simple to say, um, but things like that, like how do we, how do we you know, build this amazing tech platform and product, um, but yeah, give it that personal human touch because childcare is, is incredibly personal. It's, yeah. it's every sit is different, you know, and that's why the business is actually a really hard business to get right and a really hard product to build. It's, uh, and I'm oversimplifying, I know, but it's not like a taxi journey where you just take a customer A to B. Like every parent's sensibilities are different. The ages of the kids are different. Whether it's a daytime sit or a nighttime sit, mm. different. Does it involve school pickup? Does it involve sitting at home? Um, and so building a, an app, you know, just from a UX perspective actually has been difficult uh, and like just constantly a challenge as well. But, you know, just to go back, it's it's kind of yeah you, you've got to have that human element and i think we do i think inherent to the app is the the parent child relationship and i think if we were all comfortable with letting automation and technology come right down the funnel to our children we'd let them spend all their time on ipads yeah and there's something that that causes unease in most parents about letting their child just rear themselves yeah through the lens of technology so i think there is an with your business model there's an inherent sort of protection of your child that everything you serve them up and the way you bring them up shouldn't be completely devoid of human contact. It's still important. We know this on a fundamental level. Because yeah. I think it, it's the conversations I have with people who spent a lot of time in technology, whether it be Ollie or yourself, who are starting to have a more mature approach to the applications of it and aren't just simply saying, chop everything up and turn it into yeah. an algorithm. And are saying, of course, it almost sounds old school to say, of course, there's value for humans in there. So it sounds like you're just being traditional. You haven't figured out how to automate them out of the process yet. But it's like, yeah, I, I, the more time I spend looking at apps and ideas, the more I'm seeing people admit, even Seed Legal saying, look, at some point we need just a bit of on-hand intervention for people to put together their legal documents. And what we do is, like Wally just said, we enhance the role of the, the human mediator to spend more time with the customer or to be able to spend mm -hmm. more time on the chat reassuring them and less of the time doing the DBS checks and stuff. That exactly, exactly. And it's, so, it's a bit like, you know, what we do is, in some respects, is like it's like date, the dating apps is fairly similar because personal chemistry is so important to the to the childcare you know service yeah and that's actually I'm talking about more the parent to the childcarer than the childcarer to the kid mm. you know they're both important and they both need to have great personal chemistry but actually and that is you know I haven't solved it yet like you know how do you digitize that you you can't really like you need to uh, and that forms such a part of the of the customer experience. Um, it's really emotional, you know, um, childcare. Mm. What happens when your son's got a favorite sitter that he can't get access to? Does that cause a problem or you just think like she can't come today? And Well, I think, yeah, I think, uh, so that's something we naturally hear as well is like, well, parents just always want a book and the kids just, they always want their favorite, mm. right? And that's true. You know, I, I don't think, I think it's silly to deny that, but the problem is, and sometimes I find as parents, we don't naturally clock this straight away. It's like, well, I've kind of got news for you. Like your favorite sitter has a life. <laughs> you know, they've got, they, they want to do other things and you might, you know, want your favorite kind of almost on on a non-paid retainer, mm. you know, to drop everything at a hat when, Every when you Saturday need them. Night. Exactly, <laughs> but it's just not how life works. You know, when I, when I started Bubble and my son was three by then, um, maybe over the course of those three years, we'd built up maybe like 10 sitters who we liked, you know, in our phone, but arranging it, was uh, especially at short notice was still almost impossible so it's kind of like the, whether the kids and the parents like want their favorite one every time it's not irrelevant but it's kind of there's a, there's another side there that kind of needs to play ball and, and often they don't and that's where you go from a world of just like having a favorite sticking to a favorite and and, and being stuck most mm. of the time because of it to to opening yourself up to that and we try and educate you know the customers about that as well because you know expectations understandably are like incredibly high you know, it's one of the challenges of the business as well is that, you know, the customer's demands are huge. You know, it, the service needs to be extremely, extremely good, um, understandably so. But, you know, they want it, you know, via an app-based product extremely quickly. 
we don't want to spend lots of money on it. And so building a business model and building a product that can do that is difficult. Have you considered moving into other verticals? So I used to do a lot of private tutoring and it sounds like the, the platform that you've got in place yeah. could re be really easily applied to, to private tutoring. And it's, you know, it's only one step along the child's journey, mm. really. Yeah. But so, then maybe it dilutes your message too much. Yeah, I think, look, for the moment, we're really, for, like, the childcare problem is enormous. Uh, it's an enormous market and opportunity in its own right. And we're, like, really focused on that. I also think it's the type of, it's the type of service you need to be, you really need to specialize in. And you could probably say that with lots of services, but... It's, it's different than these other kind of household service marketplaces where you could spin up other stuff. Like this, you really need to approach like, you know, from a specialist perspective and be really focused, which, which we are. But having said that, absolutely like, you know, vision for like the future is, you know, our mission is to make parents' lives better, you know, make their lives easier. We're doing that right now with their biggest problem and I think the hardest one to, to sell them on, you mm -hmm. know, getting people to, uh, trusting people, trusting a service and a brand like with your children is again understandably like a big leap for mm -hmm. a lot of people so we're really focused on kind of like winning in that space and building a great brand and a great business and a great service in that space but then yes yeah you know that does that you know even when you look at our our supply base is f full of people who are multi-talented who can do many things yeah mm -hmm. our technology platform is is superb and um is yeah we've got that kind of transactional on-demand element built and our customer base will remain the parent like as a business like our focus is, is on the, is on parents and making their lives better and then yes it can lend itself so i don't think we're going to be a dog walking platform or a cleaning platform hmm. i think that'd be quite naive and i know those businesses have you know very different challenges um and dynamics but it's more like well how can we build a platform a trusted loved parent services platform mm. uh, and that's what that's kind of how we look at it mm. do you ever dare bring anything in-house from a sort of logistics point of view whether you have your own brand on-site nurseries with carers in where people can drop people off to go to work or anything like that where you notice there's a there's a particularly um a particular imbalance between supply and demand let's say in the canary wharf yeah and you go okay actually this could justify us having a physical location here to drop people yeah off um i think the other they're like within childcare there is there are lots of segments and, and verticals like within the overall childcare market um different use cases and i think we are and i think those are opportunities for bubble in the future but like we are very focused on ad hoc childcare, ad hoc flexible childcare on demand and actually you know i probably need to work with a branding expert to do a better job of it but like the ba the baby the word babysitting we kind of probably will move away from because it kind of, I think, in the mind of a user, it feels it's quite niche, and you mm -hmm. think of it as like a sat the odd Saturday night out. And actually, what Bubble's being used for is just, well, dozens of different use cases. You know, every day, yes, the social life, uh, giving parents back their social life, and evening bookings at the weekend are a huge part of what we do, um, and it's that's super important. I think it's easily, you know, parents not having time to go out and socialize is easily trivialized, but it's mm -hmm. a huge problem. But actually, the use cases are are far beyond that. Um, and it's and that's an area of the market which I'm really passionate about solving and I think is a growth area as well because there are certain trends around whether it's um, the increase in people working freelance or flexibly or the increase in mothers who are returning to work um, they need increasingly flexible childcare solutions as opposed to just your, your typical fixed term and more expensive solutions like a nanny or full-time nursery or full-time childminder bubbles coming in with a different solution where actually you can cherry pick different times of the day or different weeks of the month where you need help and so that's really an area where we're most focused on right now rather than you know physical um you know what the type of thing you were describing but ultimately like i said you know medium long term it's building a a big and loved and trusted childcare brand and there are there are a number of different uh, verticals within childcare white bubble uh, yeah, good question. So sometimes there's an interesting story behind it. That, well, it's just, it's the, well, the the, the like the official answer, right, is um, you know what we are about is like building trust, right? And you know we all live in our our bubble, mm. right? We live in our trust bubble, and bubble is a connecting platform that allows you to kind of pull other people in, whether it's your friends or sitters in their network. The truth is, like I at the time could only think of names with like the word sit in it, 
like sit hero yeah. or you know and yeah. it just <laughs> yeah. it was also quite limiting as well you know i'm glad we're not right now called sit this or sit yeah. or something uh, because like i said you know we're expanding beyond that bubble sounded quite mm. quite appy yeah it does you know? mm. but it's, again, a, good, it's hind- a good name i, think. I know in hindsight though i wouldn't I probably wouldn't have because there are thousands of bubble games on App Store. Yeah, so it's puzzle bubble. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like You've got a whole different like indirect Plus. competitors. Yeah, we were we were screwed actually for a long time. It was only when thankfully like we won like App Store of the Apple App of the Year, and they did a story feature on us. So yeah. now if you put bubble in, we show up every time right at the top. But before that, it was an issue. Mm. And I remember speaking to like experts about it, like, what the hell can I do about this? And the best they could give me was like, you've got to change your name. Really? Yeah. Because these have like, these games have like yeah. tens of thousands of regular uses and ratings. And it's just, it would have taken forever <laughs> to like dislodge them organically. Yeah. So, so yeah, would I have chosen it again? Um, maybe not for that reason. But yeah, I think it, it lends us to kind of, like I said, you know, our, our mission is to build like this trusted platform and it's a name that allows us to do that and are you on a sort of funding growth funding trajectory or, mm. or is it you've raised a little bit of funding and now you've built a sustainable business model and you're looking to just keep doing that yourselves yeah so we've uh like to date we've just been funded by angel investors but some really good ones like we got the founders of uh, betfair like we we tapped okay. our betfair network yeah. mm. um well and founders of boohoo.com so the okay. Kamani family who are is behind. that the uh, KM Capital is yes it? Yeah. KM Capital are, are in us and they've, they've been really supportive over the last couple of years we've got the guys at Photobox uh, so the founder Graham, Graham Hobson, Hobson. Yeah. and Stan Laurent who was their CEO for 10 years um, he's he's a great guy he's some money and so we, are, we don't have any institutional investment in yet but what we do have is like a really um, solid like base of mm. advisors who've been helping me like non-stop so how inst- how integral have they been for you to be able to bounce ideas off and shape your your vision um they've been yeah pretty great to be honest i mean they're all super busy guys and um but they're the types of people if i send them an email or want to you know meet up for a coffee they are great like that and actually you know and everyone i guess will use their investors in different ways but like more just they're good at kind of calming you down mm. a bit and like giving you some perspective. I think when you're kind of in the startup space, you know, and just spending too much time on like LinkedIn or TechCrunch or whatever, you know, it can all, f- you, you can forget, you know, you can lose that perspective sometimes, I think. And you kind of quickly like, you know, you get into that bubble where so-and-so's raised 50 million. Bubble. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't on purpose. But, uh, and actually, you know, there people like that who've been through it all and are incredibly successful as well they're very good at kind of like helping you kind of see the wood from the trees a little bit and uh, celebrate your wins, realize kind of sometimes how far you're coming and not get like overly consumed with what you've still got to do mm. uh, or what others around you do. So that's how I've personally like used them and I found it like incredibly useful. There's a fixation on particularly marketplace models raising enormous amount of funds is to scale the economics of the marketplace because you're always worried one side of the marketplace will not keep up yeah. with the other so therefore people just throw more funding in to try and th- smash the two together yeah um, yeah and and also like and I, I think there's there's logic to that right like um but i don't know i kind of feel with what we're doing it never felt something you could if you were almost try to go at it too fast like you'd i don't know you'd crash and burn a little bit it's it's such it's a sensitive area it's such a hard product to get right and i think we'll be in like we will we stand now in really good stead like the time we've taken focusing on like the product market fit focusing on the proposition i never felt it was something i know like uh, what like move fast and break things and a lot of that stuff and and obviously it's true to a degree right but i don't think it's appropriate with like every type of business and every mm-hmm. type of service and i think we've just had to be really diligent about how we've gone about uh, building it and but you know the, i think the other marketplaces also as well as from a marketing perspective you know a lot of cash helps you kind of fill the gaps when your product's not quite right you know you know there's a lot of subsidizing that goes on whether it's like uber drivers or delivery riders or um when things don't go wrong you you have a huge like war chest sorry when things don't go right you have a huge war chest to kind of compensate Mm. we've never had that Mm. you know so um and we've had to kind of live live by that and do things you know maybe maybe sometimes not as fast you know as i'd like but ultimately we've got to a really good place with it now where what we've built actually really works mm. uh, and customers kind of love it in its own right, not because we've been, you know, 
paying them to use it or, or things yeah. like that. So, but then does that mean that now or, or relatively soon could be the time when when you could scale it massively by by doing a, a, a huge yeah? Huge so raise. we're doing a we're doing a raise at the moment, right. um, and that will be like off the idea being will be yes, give us the opportunity to like really take this to market now. Yeah, you know, I still don't think most people haven't heard of us yet and we've been kind of under the radar in that degree uh, but pushing some decent numbers now mm. and showing that it works you know i spent the first i don't know you know half of my time doing bubble just convincing people that i'm not mad mm. you know that actually and the conversations have shifted a bit you know from whether it's investor conversations or just general like people who are observing what we're doing from like well is a parent really gonna really gonna use this yeah. to actually be like that's kind of question's been answered now yeah. Like they will use it. They yeah. do love it. The economics on it are quite good, um, or very good. And it's now just a case of, which is obviously easier said than done, like how do you execute that, that scale-up phase? Yeah. Um, full of challenges, obviously, and unknowns. But we're out of that bit of, yeah, like I said, convincing people that this is, this is a service people will use and love. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's an article a couple of years ago about uh, Binky, the, the Made in Chelsea yeah. girl, who actually promoted it on Instagram and then got shredded in the press because you know yeah. she was you know letting strangers look after her newborn baby yeah you, so you think attitudes have, have shifted i think so and, and education so binky's now. a really good example actually so yeah the post you're referring to it was a couple of years ago so so we've barely spent any money but the little bit of money we have spent on marketing we tend to do it on instagram mm -hmm. uh, with like an influencer yeah um who will use the service and talk about it and, but, and you know that's actually quite a good barometer of how attitudes here are shifting because when we did a few of those posts a couple of years ago like the binky thing yeah. you know and what's anno annoying funny or whatever about those posts is you know the 500 comments spring up again it's like half are like oh, this is or more than half are like this is incredibly great yeah and then there's people who are like you're a terrible mum yeah. you know and then what's really frustrating is like the mail online and the mirror the headline comes out of the negative it's not it's not a news story it's literally they're just literally copying and pasting the post and the comments underneath yeah mm. now at the time it, it was a phenomenal bit of coverage for yeah. the bubble ultimately like we were in literally every um every magazine or online mag that day uh, but frustrating as well obviously uh, and i think i always pick up this story What's interesting, so but that was back in the day where, you know, I would still recognize like most of our customers, I'd mm -hmm. say. So I'll never forget. I don't think it was actually the Binky post. I think it was another another post that kind of had a similar reaction. Like a mum uh, tagged another mum in the comments section was like, Jenny, do you use Bubble? Is this the one you were telling me about? And Jenny's response was like, used it once in desperation, not great. And I recognized Jenny's name. Like Jenny was a Bubble and is still today a bubble power user you know she'd <laughs> used us that day we'd exchanged emails and i was just sitting there thinking like and it was really interesting to me because what that shows is um you know the the social stigma that mm. still exists around yeah. what we do right and that even our our some of our power users um but admit are they me. comfortable enough yet to yeah. share it you know if you are an early adopter in the parenting space um using this service you know, the first one amongst your friends, and you know it raises some eyebrows from half the group. Like, are you going out there saying, mm. check out Bubble? You know, yeah. or I use Bubble for my, cause I, I, I think there's a lot that you're not. Like, we have a lot of people who love us who are our advocates, but I still think there's an element of like, again, it comes back to that parent guilt I was talking about. Mm. And I think generally it's like pretty well um, accepted that when we share stuff, right, we're, we're kind of sharing for our own like social capital right it's stuff that makes us look good yeah is why you share it with a mate a virtue signal exactly so does bubble you know make everyone who uses it feel good or not not feel good it makes them feel good yeah but doesn't do they wow. do they worry it doesn't make them look good yeah right so uh, that was a really interesting like example of that and i i talk about that like with a lot of pride actually because and i talk about it as a reason for people to be optimistic about what we're doing because actually when you break through that I think there's huge upside, yeah. you know, awaiting. And so over the couple of years, like that has changed. So Binky is actually an investor in the company now. Wow. So we did a, we, we did an investment deal with her recently. And when we announced the news, you know, she hadn't actually posted about us since that right. piece. Right. So, you know, we were kind of gearing up for, you know, again, a bit more, you mm. know, a bit more of the same and nothing, you know, she posted, really? it was all positive. 
Was she shocked by the initial reaction? Um, Were you both? Not so much. Not so much because you know. I think if you're a reality TV star, you're used. You're used to it. Yeah. She must be trolled. Uh, and yeah, I yeah. think. I think you know whatever she says and does, and she's generally. And and this well, you know, we loved working with her as well because she's generally her attitude is like it doesn't. It doesn't phase her. Mm. Um, and. Yeah, you must have that pretty thick skin. Yeah, so I think we were more shocked this time around. Like it was, and I think that was again a great example of, of how. And obviously, we've again same for any business. I think when you're the first doing it, sometimes it, it's much harder, right? You know, sometimes you could. I think a lot of people we wish we had no competitors, but it doesn't actually help you often. Like it helps you when you're creating a category or doing something new to have other people, you know, laying the groundwork for you or helping you lay it right. And um, we haven't had that, right? We've been kind of banging the drum of not you know it's too it's when i when i talk about like creating a category or like market education it's twofold for bubble one is that you can use an app to find childcare mm. uh, but even before that it's there's i think parents and again i speak for myself here you know you forget or you completely uh, stop thinking about the ability to do stuff anymore you know there are things you quickly just like naturally accept that you don't have your free time and you don't have your flexibility and you don't have your spontaneity. Um, and so it doesn't even cross your mind that you can use childcare for these types of things. So, you know, we have parents on Bubble now, they're booking sitters to um, come on the weekend so they can lie in. You know, they're, or they're, using, they're generally using a lot of care when they're at home. Mm. And people, I speak to parents about that and I see them like a light bulb go off in their head. They don't even think about it. You know, yeah. when they think about childcare, they're thinking, am I going out in a couple of weeks? And that's not what this is about. This is about like almost, you know, informing people and and um, introducing the idea to them that actually you can just have elements of your life back that you've probably like locked away in a cupboard, you know, somewhere. Um, I, sp- I spoke to a friend of mine who, who's having their second kid. And I thought I would, if, if for somebody's wedding, the gift I'd much rather give them than something from a John Lewis website is, is buy them contraception no no no, no. <laughs> buy them buy them childcare hours and then in the first three to six months that they're really losing sleep and you just want to take some of the sting out of it yeah that they could spend those hours and say exactly the examples you said of like can somebody come in on a saturday or, s- yeah. or a sunday and just make sure we can get some sleep yeah because you can see some parents seem to visibly age over the first six months of their newborn's life yeah. because they just aren't sleeping yeah and i just think that's exactly when childcare or historically childcare has come in because people are part of community and you'd have extended family, da da da, and people come in and share share the load more. So it's it's interesting that people are identifying that as a need, yeah. as part of the parents' well being. Absolutely, but I still think by and large it's it's not actually that thought about. You know, so and again, we we were a contributor to that. You know, when we started, you know, the little bit of like branding we were doing it was all about right. You can go out again, have a night out, go have a drink, go and this and that. And actually, we quickly realised that. It's not about that, you know, and it's it's like I said, right? That's how some people want to use it, but this is just more about like here's your free time back, and you do it to whatever you know, look after yourself with it. Um, and again, especially in the UK, like I've spoken to other apps who they're not in childcare, but they do like services for um, for for, for mums or, or not even mums, but like we sometimes reluctant, you know, to look after ourselves in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, we see it as like a massive luxury, um, and I think that's changing. And uh, yeah, we want to we want to help fuel that conversation. Obviously, I was actually asked if if you can share or happy to share um, what the kind of current numbers you're doing. And we've got no got hundred thousand members, but what kind of KPIs are you tracking, and what are you seeing sort of grow? Uh, and how do you kind of yeah? Qualify? So we've grown we've grown um, across our core KPIs. We've grown like you know nearly three hundred percent year on year. We I can't give exact numbers out, but we're doing you know o, 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 in excess of like ten thousand requests like a month going through our platform now. You know, this year we do like several million in in sit volume, and yeah, we've done that. Like I said, you know, with a very small team and uh, very little kind of uh, marketing spend. It's been more like yeah, word of mouth, a bit of PR we've had. You know, the Instagram posts, even though they kind of sometimes get hammered in the comments, mm. and so it's been good. But like I said, it, we we feel kind of proud of what we've done, but ready to kind of take take a next step now. You're still quite London centric. Uh, 75% of our requests are London M25. But mm. what we're seeing, which is really exciting, is places like Brighton, Edinburgh, Bristol, Oxford, uh, Manchester now as well. Uh, just organic activity cropping up. But it comes back to that kind of issue that you guys were talking about, is how do you kind of accelerate that activity in a market? Because what we do have is like a national supplier base or carer base. 
Um, like we have hundreds of sitters in Leeds and Newcastle and Sheffield who are on the platform and ready to go. But that's only kind of the first half of the of the jigsaw, really. Like the next half is parents want to see them with reviews and social connections. So we've, you know, we kind of have had these organic kind of uh, hubs like coming up on their own and we're enjoying kind of seeing them bubbling away and then when the time comes bubbling. we'll <laughs> it's awful sorry yeah um you know we'll we'll kind of uh, make a more concerted effort but by and large yeah it's still a it's still a, a, a london is by far our most densely populated area right now okay so the the last little bit we like to do is a quick fire questions um so can we have a prediction for the future yes yeah, so i think he's gonna be prime minister tomorrow well, no, I can't possibly <laughs> predict that. No. But uh, I thought I thought like I thought about this, and actually, it goes to what we were saying before. Right? I think something that's not going to happen in the future is that you know robots won't be looking after our kids, and you know technology or and I've seen stuff whether it's like um, Google's bringing out stuff, and I know it's fairly like gimmicky around around the home to kind of watch your kids, etc. Like that's not going to happen. Mm. You know, nothing's going to replace that kind of human um, requirement and human interaction between child carer and and kid and parent. We say yeah. this with a robot looking at you <laughs> in the corner of the room here. But you're, you're, she's useless. Yeah. <laughs> she's meant to greet people. Um, you're right. We're not going to have a world where computer vision just sits there passively in the corner, just monitoring all your baby's heart functions yeah. and stuff like that, and just think that that's a, a good job. Yeah, I think I know. I said it earlier in the show that it struck me how parenting in this day and age was just still so bloody difficult, right? But I think it's supposed to be you know in a way it's kind of like how it's designed yeah. and it's kind of why we you know why we lo- end up loving our kids so much is you you have to go through and you do go through an awful lot for them and that's kind of like a hugely important part of the process so i don't think that's going to be replaced anytime soon i think i think parenting will always be bloody difficult mm. basically yeah it wouldn't be as rewarding mm. the, the hero's right. journey has to have mm-hmm. travails and yeah. challenges sure. i do i do worry with the constraints on parenting at the moment that our generation may be forced into you know, smaller and smaller homes because affordability of housing is, is getting less and less of either we live further out to afford yeah. a garden and some some space or we're gonna have less kids because you know bring them up in a three bed flat or two bed flat in london fewer yeah one bed flat in london yeah. is, is gonna be really hard and then sometimes you just can't give the experience you want to with your kid which is that you want them to play outside you want them to feel safe so it's like i think these these challenges yeah. are going to complete continue to reshape themselves as well unless um, something else something else changes but yeah I think that's fair what about a book or a, or a tool that you'd recommend to people that you found useful well book wise I love Thinking Fast and Slow mm-hmm. uh, by Daniel Kahneman that's something I, I like always recommend I love um, the 80-20 principle as well and I think both of those are actually I found very good at ensuring you focus on the right things and I think when you're starting up you know there's a million things to focus on and there will yeah. continue to be a million things to focus on and there are a million opinions that everyone who hears what you're doing wants to give you mm-hmm. and it's hard right you, you have to be like really incredibly disciplined and I think the people who build the best businesses are uh, just incredibly good at spotting a what really matters and what's really driving things and that's where like the 80-20 principle comes into it but then also just incredibly focused and disciplined in terms of just not veering off that path. Yeah. And I've definitely fallen into that trap like many times mm. and still do. So, but those two books particularly kind of helped me with that. Also, I read, uh, and these are all kind of the startup cliche ones now, I know, but like uh, Bad Blood, I read uh, The Story of Theranos. Mm. I read that the other day and I, I don't actually get that much time between like the business and like three kids. Like, you just, it's the other thing about parents will tell you when they have kids, like you can never read, like reading a book okay. just like goes out the window basically. But that Bad Blood where I was in the States, uh, last year and actually I read that in like a day it was that good so uh, yeah I'd always uh, those are the ones I'm recommending yeah we've talked about that a lot in the podcast but I've never actually read the book mm, really good have you watched any of the, any of the programmes on there? no they had but the was it the Netflix documentary yeah or something yeah, yeah. Um, or the HBO one I reckon there'll, there'll be a version of that to do with WeWork at some point just because it's just another yeah. catastrophic yeah, fuck yeah. up what's her name Elizabeth Holmes. Holmes yeah so the next question is if you could have dinner with anyone tonight who would it be Presumably not Elizabeth Holmes. Or actually, she'd be quite interesting. She would be like very interesting. Is she impressive? She'd have dinner with me though. No. Oh, but we. This is what. This is the hypothetical. Yeah. Um, well, I was, tra- I was chatting to you before. Like uh, my my kind of passion outside of work is is Arsenal. So I definitely <laughs> want to sit down with their American billionaire owner Stan Kroenke and have a chat and understand <laughs> like what he's doing. Yeah. Like what is he doing at the moment? Would you have Arsenal at your dinner as well? 
I would actually. Mm. I'd probably like uh, wuss out and kind of just go all fanboy on him. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's yeah, he's someone I'd love to have dinner with, and probably should say my wife as well. She's not really. She, I've not really seen everyone her. Everyone feels in obliged weeks. to say that. Yeah, because they're obliged. Us if, maybe, yeah. maybe it's just a loving home. Yeah, well, no, not but this a, is like this is like what you could say Gandalf or. Or Gandhi, but, but, we're, but we're both not married, so until we are, we're probably yeah, not fit to, wait, fit to right? comment. You wait. <laughs> um, is, she, is she supportive of your football passions as well? Yeah, I was. She's, I was going to say she's, you know, incredibly supportive of of bubble. Yeah, and just generally a big help as well with it. But um, not Arsenal. No, she's absolutely like tired <laughs> of that. Like you know, having my having my day ruined by Arsenal. She just well, you have a fleet of children. That. I mean, the business is a little bit like a child. You've got three children, then a football team can be a little bit like that as well in terms yeah. of constraints on your time. So I can see why Well, she's I think, listen, I think um, I actually still play. I still try and play football like a, a Sunday league, 11 aside. I've always played, right? And it got to a stage where she was, you know, having the mick taken out of her because she was the only one of our friends who actually still with little kids whose husband husband can basically leave the house at like eight on a Sunday morning and get back at one. Mm. And, uh, but she was incredibly supportive of that because I just think it's massively important to have your few hours out a week. And then I actually ruptured my, uh, my cruciate ligament six months ago. So playing a match up in Liverpool, which right. she obviously didn't want me to go to because it meant leaving her and the kids all day. And then six minutes into the game, I'd done my <laughs> knee in and like, <laughs> but the point is, you know, and what I've learned there as well, that was like a couple of hours a week, which are just, mine mm-hmm. which you kind of just totally switched off from work um and i've and i've, and I've missed that yeah. i think that's like hugely important mm-hmm. for kind of anyone doing anything remotely like stressful running a business to have that ability to switch off and so she's massively massively supportive of that so yeah that's why dinner with her i think and to your i credit, don't think she's sorry just as a last word on her and dinner i don't think she'd appreciate having dinner with with you sierra not sierra Henry, i know she loves Henry. And, oh my oh, gosh <laughs> Henri and Lindbergh are, are welcome right. at her dinner table anytime <laughs> um but to your credit you, you built her a platform to satisfy your your absence you can always tell her to jump on the platform well, exactly you know, exactly so not many husband's concerned you're she's outsourcing like biggest, your role yeah <laughs> but she's like she's like the biggest critic of it as well so in a sense, you know, she's a, she's obviously, as you can imagine, like a heavy user. So it's like when you come da- come back from a day. You sound like a drug. But no, it is a bit. It is yeah. a bit. You get hooked on it. Yeah, right? that's what you um, want. But it's, uh, you know, you just come back from a day. And sometimes I feel bad because, you know, I'd have a day of like, you know, it's always problems every day and like customers where things have gone wrong. Mm. And then you'll get home and she'll start telling me everything that's gone wrong with her app or this bug that right. she's just found and i'm just oh like God. i've literally just had it all day we can't yeah uh, so it's frustrating from her for her perspective so but no generally speaking yeah massive massively supportive i have one last question is there a room within your platform for male babysitters or manny type figures huh, yeah absolutely so you know na- as you'd expect the majority are uh, are female mm-hmm. but there are some mannies on there who are incredible really? and bubbles actually yeah bubbles amazing like we did we had some press around it that you know the number of mannies had gone up like, over 100 percent year on year and it's really interesting like some parents um they especially want to book male sitters because their kid like if you're you know typical use cases if you have a kid who loves sport and loves football you want someone it doesn't have to be a man obviously but you want someone who's can go out and take them out and some boys you know, six, seven, yeah six mm. seven year old boys they want you know they want a male sitter and we've booked a few for for my boy um and bubbles fantastic for them as well um so listen it's still a relatively small part of what goes on, on the platform but there are some guys on there doing phenomenally well and i think the benefit to the, to on a number of levels there's a huge amount of benefit to get more men in childcare. it's still seen as this uh as a as a, as a mum's job mm-hmm. basically um and that's an issue kind of when you're looking at it from a mum's and dad's perspective. But at the heart of that is actually who do kids grow up seeing taking or taking on childcare responsibilities, yeah. you know, and more male uh, sitters, you know, or nannies would, you know, change the dynamic, you know, when these guys become dads or when these kids grow up. And that has, again, like far reaching implications on like uh, the gen- like gender equality and the gender pay gap and, you know, which... Yeah. When a baby comes along who's like immediately assumed has to go on maternity leave mm. um as opposed to paternity leave you have paternity leave in this country which fathers just are not taking and that all kind of boils down to this overall issue or there's probably there's many factors to it but one of the key ones is is that childcare is seen as a woman's job mm. and as a mum's job mm. and until we kind of move away from that this these kind of issues will will reside so 
yeah, we love seeing actually male sisters do great work on Bubble, and it's growing. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I guess our last question we we I had one more. Have you got one more? Had, there's actually one more. It was just on the fold. It's the best last quickfire one, which we would like to stretch the bounds of the definition of quickfire. Yeah. Um, the best advice you've ever received. I think foc focusing on what you can control and not what you can't control is something I try and stick to. Naturally, I'm like the opposite. You know, naturally, I'm I'm a my friends would probably tell I'm a worrier. You know, they some of them are like really surprised that I ever did this yeah. because like. You know, it's just like a miserable sod, basically. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, half glass, half empty type of thing. And you've got to be really, I think, um, optimistic to kind of do a startup, right? And I'm generally, I'm someone who's kind of, yeah, thinking what could go wrong. And that can be crippling, actually, especially like when you're right in the thick of stuff and stuff is going to go wrong the mm. whole time. So getting better at kind of not getting consumed in like the unknowns and the stuff that's out of your control is like hugely valuable yeah and so i've got better and better at that and it's been a massive help to me cool and yeah our, our final question before we let you go is if there's any anything anybody listening to the podcast can do to help you on your your journey forward uh what would that be well we're we're, we're growing and we're recruiting so if anyone's listening and they're they are particularly in like um growth marketing side of the business tech We've actually, it's a good question to ask because we've, we've placed quite a few people yeah. and people asking questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're like, fingers crossed, all being well, we'll be looking to kind of grow significantly in the next 12 months and we're just looking for amazing people who love, who love the mission. I think it's really important to me that, you know, I think childcare or the, or the problem we're trying to solve, like you either are into it or you're not and you're probably going to want to do a hundred other cool things that you can do. So people who are very passionate about like, great technology but very kind of bought into and uh, passionate about the particular mission we're trying to solve solving big problems hard problems um would love to speak to them so yeah that would be awesome you can help me with that definitely brilliant well ari thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure to speak yeah to you. thanks for having me really fun great cheers guys if you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations we'd love to get your feedback our twitter handle is at the startup mike mic or get us an email audio ed at startupmicrodose.com if you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.